Welcome to Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedoms with George Christensen. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing, for they might not choose socialism. We cannot afford to be so politically correct anymore. Conservative One. G'day, I'm George Christensen, Australian Member of Parliament and your host here at the podcast, Conservative One, Defending Traditions and Freedom. And I'm joined by an American-born Christian apologist. He's also an ethicist based out of Melbourne. He has his own blog, which he considers an online ministry. It's called Culture Watch and features Christian commentary on the social and political issues of the day. A prolific author, also a media commentator, the person I'm talking about is Bill Muhlenberg. He's been featured on many television and radio current affairs programs. He's got a very uh, esteemed academic career. He uh, graduated from Wheaton College in Chicago with a Bachelor of Arts with Honours in Philosophy. He went on to the Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary in Boston, where he uh, graduated with a Master of Arts with the highest honours in theology. He's currently completing a PhD in theology, and he teaches ethics, apologetics, and theology at several Bible colleges throughout Victoria. Bill is a great warrior for Christianity, for conservatism, and for the culture. And it's good to have you here, Bill. How are you going? Very well, thank you, George. Great to be with you. And, uh, an honor, in fact, to join you in this program of yours. And uh, I hope I can keep up with your previous guests and uh, do you proud. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, Bill, your, um, your whole mantra I saw pretty much summed up in a, in a quote that you had on your blog there. Uh, you're talking about the culture wars and you described it like this. You said it, it is a war and further indication that all Christians should be on the battleship. You don't get the cruise liner until next life, so you shouldn't be living that way. And I guess by inference you were calling for all hands on deck, that uh, if you're a Christian, if you're a conservative, or particularly if you're both, that you need to be part of uh, what's colloquially termed the culture wars and actually defending our civilization, defending faith. Is that pretty much a good summary of where you're at and where you're from? Yeah, it's, it's a very good, uh, in a nutshell, version of what I'm on about. Uh, we are in a war, uh, battles taking place all over the place. Certainly faith, family, and freedom are under attack, those of us who care about these things. Well, sadly, we can't sit on the sidelines. We have to get involved. The other side is very active. They're very keen to push their agendas. And if we think we can just sit this one out, well, we're going to lose by default. And there's a lot at stake here. Certainly if we care about our kids, our grandkids, we really do need to take a stand. So, um I guess that uh, one of the issues that I've seen you tackle uh, repeatedly in lectures that you've given is cultural Marxism. And uh, that's, that's, I guess, the big issue of the day from what you see. And in particular, you see this and its warriors on the left, the political left, as um, people who threaten the family as an institution. In fact, you describe it 
as a war on the family. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think absolutely. Uh, there are those who don't like all the things that we like, whether faith, again, family, freedom. Uh, I'm not a gung-ho conspiracy theorist, uh, but one doesn't have to be to realize that over the years, many people have made it quite plain what they are trying to do when it comes to the West, Western values, Christian values, so to speak of something like cultural Marxism, obviously goes back to Karl Marx. Mm -hmm. He was very open about what he wanted to do, his dislike of the family, his dislike of Christianity, obviously his dislike of capitalism. So he did all he could to foment revolution. It didn't quite happen the way he thought it would. The workers around the world didn't rise up. So um, those who followed on from him uh, basically took his uh, revolution with rifles and guns and turned it into uh, internal evolution by taking over the culture. So when we speak of cultural Marxism, that's exactly what we, we mean. It's the same goals, it's the same ends, but the strategy, the means by which we get there, that has changed. Yeah, you, you've described cultural Marxism as uh, the main ideological driver behind political correctness. You described it as destructive criticism and undermining of all institutions of Western civilization and traditional values that underpin it. You just alluded to the fact that, I guess, Karl Marx is the person who, who, who dreamt up and, uh, and, and philosophized and wrote about the, the grand theory of communism, uh, really wanted there to be a revolution amongst the proletariat. He wanted the revolution to, to happen to the workers of the world, to unite and rise up and overthrow what he called the bourgeoisie. But as you, as I've heard you say, Bill, cultural Marxism is not the same as that, but it is still Marxism. Gone are the guns and tanks and other methods to bring in uh, communism or Marxism are, uh, are put in its place. Can you talk us through that? Talk us through how Marxism from a revolutionary force was morphed into this other cultural Marxist philosophy. Yeah. You know, we have a bit of history to cover there. We can talk about groups like the uh, Fabian Socialists. We can talk about the Frankfurt School. We can talk about, say, the Italian Marxist Gramsci, and we can look at all of those briefly. But they all understood that, uh, again, the kind of predictions that Marx had made about a spontaneous rise of workers rebelling against their capitalist overlords. It just wasn't happening. So still the same end in mind, but how are we going to make this happen? Yeah. So somebody, for example, like Gramsci, he, uh, interesting fellow, like I say, Italian communist. He actually went to uh, Russia for a while when it was the Soviet Union, spent about a year there learning what he could. When he came back, he wasn't welcomed uh, as he thought he might be. In fact, he was thrown in prison. So most of his writings were done when he was in prison, but he spent uh, thousands of pages talking about how we could achieve the same aims. So we have discussions like, well, uh, the long march through the institutions. Mm -hmm. 
instead of uh, bringing about armed revolution, he spoke about capturing the culture. Especially by that he meant we need to target the institutions of power and influence. So the obvious things here would be media, education, the judiciary, the press, political parties, even the churches, uh, all these key institutions, if we can white ant them from within, if we can effectively take them over, uh, well, we might have a bloodless revolution, but we'll still have a revolution nonetheless. So his writings were quite influential. We had some of the others we mentioned, the uh, Fabian socialists yeah. who took as their symbol the wolf in sheep's clothing. Yep. Uh, again, gives you that same idea. <laughs> How are we going to do this? It's going to be done by subterfuge. It's going to be done sneakily. We're going to get in. Hopefully most people won't even know it's happening. Uh, but we will take over and end up accomplishing what we've wanted. We will take over the West. We will subvert it. And, uh, well, it's looking it, around in, today, it's in you, name, isn't it? why, you know, well, yeah, it's, you wonder, you know, you see all these things going on. It looks like they've actually been fairly successful thus far. Yeah, and it, But it's in their name, isn't it? The very yeah. the Fabian yeah. named after the Roman general. Mm. Tell us about that. So I know you've, you've you mentioned that before to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a general, of course, who uh, a couple of hundred years before the time of Christ, who um, he had to, well, he had a big task on his hands. He was a Roman general who was fighting against Carthage and their general Hannibal. He was smart enough to know that Carthage was a fairly invincible kind of place, very difficult to take, you know, just a straightforward military assault. It was probably just going to not going to make it. The other side was too strong, too well prepared. So how would uh, Fabius attempt to win the battle? Well, he said, the only way we're going to make this happen is really through a long, slow war of attrition. The idea is you simply wear the enemy down over a long period of time. Mm. And that's exactly what he did. And he was successful. I head on Frontal assault, nope, wouldn't have done it. But uh, bit by bit, chipping away at the edges, same story here. The uh, cultural Marxists know they cannot just come in and overthrow America and the West. But if they can chip away at the edges, if they can take over bit by bit, maybe the media, which seems to be pretty well the case, maybe take over much of higher education, take over much of the courts, on and on it goes, you know, gain power in at least one of the main political parties. That slow erosion has worked very well for them. So, yeah, even their name reflects the strategy, and we're seeing it happening all over the place. Yeah, and they're still around to today, the Fabian Society, and they make oh, no bones yeah. about it. Too. Oh, yeah. Here in Australia, I think I saw uh, one of the Labor MPs that was going to be speaking to them uh, in a uh, webinar this week about uh, how COVID-19 might help shape progressive values uh, for the Australian nation. So there you go, still alive and well. But uh, how did the ideas that come out of the Fabian Society, Fabianism, and Gramsci's ideas, uh, Gramscian ideas, I guess we call them now, how did they influence the West and I'll, I'll drop the hint here. I know the answer to the question. What is the Frankfurt School? What is the Frankfurt School? It is, 
Yes, well, um, ideas do have consequences. So bad ideas can have bad consequences. Good ideas can have good. So again, the Marxists took Marxist thought, Marxist ideology, but whereas Marx put most of his eggs in his basket, in the economic basket, the cultural Marxist said, well, let's concentrate on the culture. Mm. So yeah, roughly at the same time that you know these forces were wondering why the revolution wasn't taking off all around the world, uh, a group of intellectuals and academics in, probably no surprise, Frankfurt, Germany, around the early 1920s, set up a school, which we now refer to as the uh, Frankfurt School. And that, again, was to translate these economic goals and terminology of Marx and put it into cultural ones. So they asked themselves, how can we take over the culture? A lot of different powerful means were suggested using sex as a weapon against the West, using an attack on the family, for example. Marx and Freud were both uh, drawn upon in what we call critical theory. Mm-hmm. The idea was to criticize pretty much everything, uh, try to find weaknesses in the West, constantly criticize, constantly show what they claimed were its uh, innate deficiencies. So again, as you capture the institutions, whether education or politics, you keep pushing these radical agendas. So yeah. uh, some of these guys were even writing books well before we even, uh, you know, the terms became popular. One of the Austrian uh, uh, psychiatrists who was involved in this way back in 1936 wrote a book called The Sexual Revolution. Another one that I was reading, I uh, hate to say it, back in my wild leftist days, I wasn't always conservative. Back in my youth, I was a part of all the, the what we called the new left. Another one was the German-American philosopher Marcuse. So he wrote books like Eros and Civilization and One Dimensional Man. I was reading those books in high school. But again, the same thing. He used this kind of combination of Freud and Marx and other views to try to white ant the West, push all kinds of things that they knew would help to break apart the West. So it could be anything from an attack on marriage, could be easy divorce, could be pushing even way back then. In the early 60s, the radical homosexual movement, pansexualism was one of Freud's ideas, pushing the idea of pleasure is all that really matters, on and on. Get rid of differences between boys and girls. Uh, you know, attack the idea of men being oppressive, uh, chauvinist pigs who are keeping women in suppression and so on. Attack the role of the father, uh, on and on. They, they were really quite clever, actually, in knowing if they could keep hammering away at some of these issues and create this kind of climate of complaint, a climate of oh, gee, we're, we're pretty a lousy culture after all, aren't we? I, yeah. I, you know, I kind of thought America or Australia, the West, we were pretty decent. But when you keep being hammered over and over again about all these things and about how evil we really are, you're creating this culture of discontent so that, uh, you know, when the radicals come in with some radical solutions, and we have that today with, say, a, a Bernie Sanders or whoever, uh, it becomes much more palatable. Mm-hmm. And these weren't new ideas that 
these people from the Frankfurt School were bringing in, they were basically just uh, riffing, I guess you could say, off the original ideas of Marx and his fellow co-conspirator Engels uh, who, uh, mm. yep. who wrote about the family. I mean, they called marriage and the family just bourgeois claptrap. I think one of the principal, well, I know one of the principal tenets of, uh, of Marxism or communism is the abolition of the family as we know it. They wanted to see the rearing of children in the hands of the state. They also likened uh, marriage to uh, prostitution. So, you know, the, the, these are not new new elements that were added on. This was communism or Marxism or socialism, whatever you like to call it, from the get-go, wasn't it? Yeah, well, absolutely. So all the stuff we see today, all this war on the family and so on, uh, uh, this is going way back straight out of Marx. Uh, remember, the Communist Manifesto was penned in 1848. So back then, they were talking about abolishing the family. Back then, of course, pushing easy divorce, uh, getting rid of church marriages, decriminalizing things like homosexuality, taking away parental rights, especially in law. That was all stuff we saw being pushed by the Bolsheviks 1917, as soon as they took over Russia, these were among the very first steps they took to uh, really uh, implement the revolution. Now, mind you, if we had time, we could look that, you know, mm. 10, 15 years later on, the whole thing was getting so bad that they had to start undoing some of these things. They had to start putting family back in place, marriage back in place. You know, it was just, it didn't work. But this was still part of the Marxist uh, agenda, this war on the family. And, of course, we see it full bloom today. So, again, there's these ideological forebears. These ideas don't come out of nowhere. This is not accidental. Again, you don't have to push radical conspiracy theories. There are those who don't like the West and... For example, the Frankfurt School, well, obviously, when Hitler came to power, right, in Germany, they couldn't long stay there. So where did they end up? Almost all of them ended up in key American universities, many of them in the East Coast, in New York. Mm. So here are these radical thinkers basically kicked out of Germany, getting themselves well and truly ensconced in leading uh, universities in America, what a great platform to push yeah. all these agendas. And that's exactly what we still see today. We see the fruit of that. Oh, well, academia is uh, riddled with leftist groupthink. And uh, I think that that was the, uh, the germination of it. And before, I guess, uh, anyone accuses uh, you or indeed me of being some conspiracy theorists talking about these things like the Fabian Society, the Frankfurt School. We've already mentioned how the Fabian Society was up front in its name and in its symbol about what it wanted to do. But indeed, one of the Frankfurt School, uh, Max Horkheimer, you shared with me earlier a quote by this fellow, and it, the quote is, is, it bells the cat. He says, the revolution won't happen with guns, rather it will happen incrementally, year by year, generation by generation. We will gradually infiltrate their educational institutions and their political offices, transforming them slowly into Marxist entities as we move towards universal egalitarianism. So you're right. I mean, they were, they were pretty open in saying what they wanted to do. And in some quarters, they've been successful. 
You're listening to Conservative Wine. So, as this was going on in the United States, who was out there belling the cat to say that this was a problem? Was anyone aware that this was going on, Bill? Yeah, well, not enough, obviously. Uh, there were some. Uh, some were cluey from day one about what Marx was on about. Some were cluey about how dangerous the 1917 Russian Revolution was. Some were cluey about, well, the Communist Party and its goal. The, the F- obviously, we can talk here. F- well, we can talk all day about, say, somebody like B.A. Santa Maria yeah, yeah. in Australia right. taking on a- the communists, both in the Labour Party and mm. the Labour unions. He was, you know, he was back in the 40s and 50s aware of the problem. Yeah, so indeed. thankfully there were some, but we needed many more. Um, one book I do tend to mention when I talk about this from at least the U.S., there was a former FBI agent yeah. who did keep a very close uh, eye on the various, uh, well, I was going to say goals of the communists, but the declared, the official goals, this is what they said we want to do. So he wrote a whole book, which appeared in 1958, called The Naked Communist. And in there, in a whole lot of detail and documentation, he listed some 45 of these declared goals of the Communist Party in America, which you know would be pretty much the same as, say, in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, England. So even to list a few of these goals is quite uh, eye-opening. Let me just, in very quick fashion, give you a few of them. Uh, one was to capture at least one of the main political parties in the United States. Now, you're not going to get much money uh, guessing which uh, party that might be today yeah, in America, yeah. right? We have one party absolutely dedicated to just about everything Marx and his followers have been pushing. The goals also included like things like get control of the schools and use them as instruments to transmit communist propaganda. Uh, get rid of all kinds of laws on things like pornography, obscenity, get rid of censorship laws, you know, put in neat forms like free speech and all the rest, but overrun the culture with, uh, well, obscenity and porn and ugliness. Again, the family was under attack. Infiltrate the churches was another goal, discredit the Bible and, you know, traditional Christian teaching. They actually said if we can get rid of prayer, at least in public, that would go a long ways. And, you know, all this is reading like we're looking back at what's already happened, whereas this were these declared goals ahead of time. They told us what they wanted to do. And now, sadly, pretty much all of that has come to pass. So, yeah, now it is a matter of historical record. What they said they wanted, they pretty much got. I, I read this book when I was 15, believe it or not, I uh, found it in my school library, amazingly, and uh, <laughs> well, I, I was astounded. I mean, it did show that this was written in the in the 1950s, you know, the era of everyone imagines the 1950s in the US yeah. and what they'd imagine is the, uh, you know, the dad in his tweed jacket and smoking pipe, the mum, you yep. know, having just baked yep. the, the, the scones or the roasts in the oven and, the kids are looking on, two or three kids uh, with rosy cheeks. You know, it's the sort of postcard image of of conservatism uh, or what people think 
when they think of traditional conservatism. Uh, but yet he was a guy saying all of this and he gave 45 declared goals and if you go through those goals, there is yep. not too many you could say, well, that hasn't happened. Yeah. And, and, and that, was, yeah. that was at a time where actually anyone reading what those goals would have been would have been scoffing yeah. and going, oh, that's yeah. just ridiculous yeah. to think that they could Last ever one. do that. Yeah. That would be wrong. Yeah. I get I get worried then. Absolutely. I get worried just to segue a bit, you know, uh, wonder what the goals are today that in 50 years' time or 60 years' time people will be going, oh, well, this is just normal, but we right now I think, oh, that's that could never happen. That could ne-. But that's what we're mm. talking about. That is essentially yeah. what we're talking about, unfathomable things 60 years ago that today are not just, the norm are not just legalized. In fact, if you say anything against those things, you would become yeah. persona non grata in our society. In fact, in the UK, Bill, as you know, you could even have police officers turn up on your doorstep knocking and saying, excuse me, but you think the wrong way. I don't think it'll be too far before we get that in countries like Australia unless we step up. But let's go on. The goals of Marxism... As we know, you know, getting rid of private property, that was sort of a given. And that's what everyone sort of thinks, that oh, it's all just about the economy and people sharing things rather than greedy people owning themselves. But there was also the destruction of religion. There was also the destruction of the nation state and the destruction of the family. And we've led up to this this, month, this far. But what has been the big ideology that has emanated from all of this cultural Marxism, whether it's come out of the Fabians, whether it's come out of the uh, the universities via the Frankfurt School uh, ideas, what has is now the main ideology that's driving this cultural Marxist attack on the family? Yeah, well, there's plenty of uh, things we could mention here. Obviously, all of these radical groups during the 60s, which, again, my apologies, I was part of. <laughs> I was a radical hippie back in the 60s, and fully into all this. So, you know, just think of all the movements that were birthed during this time. You had the radical feminist movement that arose during this time, the homosexual uh, movement. Well, you had the Black Power movement and uh, groups like the Black Panthers, of course. You had the radical student groups like SDS. Uh, All these kind of came at the same time, mid to late 60s. I was involved in many of them. And again, the the scary thing is these were all on the fringes of society, as you just said, in the 50s, right? You had about as kind of conservative and, you know, pro-family, pro-faith, pro-Western culture as you could have. And yet, just a decade or two later, pretty much all of that was being undermined. So again, I do always have to apologize when I talk about this because I was part of that undermining force. And even I was surprised at how quickly and easily uh, all this took place. You know, again, we were a handful of radicals, activists on the fringes of the culture. Well, guess what? We've had a complete reversal of fortune in just a few short decades Hate to say it right now, George Christensen, uh, you know, myself, uh, people like us, we're now on the fringes of the culture. The radicals of the 60s, they are now 
mainstream. They now call the shots. They now are in charge of the media. They're running our universities. They're running so much of our courts and uh, mm. even sadly many of our churches. So whether you name the radical feminist movement or what have you, each of them has done a very, very good job indeed of capturing power. And, uh, well, that's what we're now up against. So have we have we lost the war? Have we lost the culture war? Is that what you're saying, Bill? <laughs> well, look, I always, I'm asked questions like this all the time, you know, can we turn it around? Is it too late? Is it all over? I mean, if we took only the short-term view, well, I suppose you'd have to say, yeah, we've lost. We've lost big time. We've lost massively. We threw it all away in just a matter of years. Most people, in fact, slept through the revolution. They had no idea what was even hitting them. And by the time they did wake up, it was already way too late. Mm. So if we only look at the very short term, it can be a very gloomy prospect indeed. But uh, I always tell people, oh, look, while a revolution can happen overnight, it takes a long time to build a culture. That's been the story of human history. You know, we speak of the dark ages, we speak of uh, paganism and the raiding tribes and the hordes that basically turned uh, Europe from its early Christian beginnings into kind of a wasteland. All that had to be overcome and reconquered and Christianity and the West are in many ways synonymous terms. Mm. Uh, Sure, it took centuries to slowly Christianize and civilize the West, but it happened. Mm. Uh, So again, tearing down is always so much easier and quicker. It can happen overnight. Building up, that takes years, decades, centuries. So now we've had a good half century at least of this radical ideology well entrenched in, again, everything. Not just our schools, not just our courts, not just in the media. But again, sadly, much of our churches are pushing the same agenda. So um, is it going to be changed overnight? No, it's going to take a long time. So that's the problem. If you're looking for a quick fix, you know, some concerned Christians might think, well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I signed a petition on whatever the issue, marriage or, you know, sorry, it's going to take a little bit more than uh, that. It's going to take actually the same commitment, dedication, and the long haul that our opponents are into, right? Uh, They've been doing this now for several centuries. It took a while. They were fabulously successful, and they're probably going to get even more successful in the near future. But, well, by God's grace, hopefully we can start turning things around. And already we see some rays of hope, right? Who would have known just a few short years ago we would have had the Trump revolution? Who would have known we'd have something like Brexit? Who would have known that, well, Boris Johnson getting in, uh, Scott and, you know, these all these, uh, you know, these things weren't supposed to happen. Uh, you know, it was supposed to be inevitable that the left would just keep on winning their America, England, Australia. But we've been getting some runs on the board. Sure, we got a whole lot more work to do. But that's it. If we can be as dedicated as we can be as committed and if we're willing to be in for the long haul, 
Well, by God's grace, uh, I think we can begin to turn things around. But mm. again, that means we got to get involved. We can't sit on the sidelines. We can't sit this one out. The stakes are too high. What's at uh, play here is just too important. Uh, so every one of us who cares about these things has to get involved one way or another, whether it's George as a politician, Bill as a blogger. You know, there's a million things we can all do. We all have gifts and talents that we can use. So let's start running with, you know, a bit of a fight back, if you will. We are now the new counterculture. We need to take back what has become the mainstream culture and win it back for the sake of our families, our yeah. children, and our grandchildren. Yeah, very much agreed. I mean, I will give uh, this, and it's a pretty big uh, pretty big um, give to the left. Uh, you know, there are some things that come out of the leftist agenda which have made society better, particularly on the economic front, right? I mean, uh, in the field of legal rights, uh, I would also say that I, I am glad that, that, you know, for instance, that homosexuality is not illegal, Bill, but uh, that they're things that are, have been, I guess, the outcomes of the leftist push, but they aren't the true goals. I mean, the true goals, as you've pointed out, is the destruction of the foundations of Western civilization, uh, of Christendom as they see it. And I, I don't think that any civilization can actually last when you chip away and basically cut off those foundations. I'm quite despondent, as I've said in a couple of these podcasts, about uh, the future of the West, but it's clear, as you've outlined, that unless people are willing to step up and fight on these issues, that we are going to lose it. We're not just going to be a minority, as you said, the fringe dwellers. We are going to fade away, and so too will Western civilization fade away and there will be another civilization replacing it. Well, I think that we'll cap it off there, uh, but we will come back to talk about one of these issues, Bill, that you have raised as one of the forces that's, uh, I guess, trying to undermine the family, and that is radical Marxist feminism. Uh, that's going to be a hot topic, and I'll speak to you in our next edition of Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedom. We will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. You've been listening to the Conservative One Podcast with George Christensen.